Well, uh, Christmas is almost here, and my children are certainly counting down the days, okay? Um, Maybe some of you adults are counting down the days, too. Maybe you still have some gifts to get. I do. So you know where I'll be tomorrow, okay? Uh, But one of the things that uh, growing up as a a kid, um, I always looked forward to the Christmas season was this, the Christmas cartoons, all right? Anybody here that look forward to the Christmas cartoons? Well, I see some adults raising their hands, still looking forward to it. Yeah. The Christmas cartoons, matter of fact, some of my favorites uh, was obviously Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or Red-Nosed Reindeer. Anybody like that one? Okay. Some. All right. How about, uh, what was that snowball guy? Frosty. All right. Yes, Frosty. You know what they don't, what I found? They came out with a Frosty 2, Frosty Returns. It's stupid. It is absolutely stupid. All right. I mean, it's so not realistic because they have this spray that removes snow, snow rules. I mean, how realistic is that? OK, so I don't go for frosty returns. But perhaps the one that is uh, most endearing to me is uh, and I really didn't become really endearing until I got became an adult, because really as an adult where I really began to understand what this cartoon was about. You know which one it is? It's a, a Charlie Brown Christmas yeah. Charlie, Charlie Brown Christmas, is, I mean, it's got a powerful message to it because in reality, it's a, it's a response to the commercialization of Christmas. And it's a response to really the secularization uh, of Christmas as well. And uh, the climax of the story, if you remember the climax part of the story, is when uh, Charlie Brown, he had gone off and he had gotten that sad looking Christmas tree. You know, which is actually kind of nice. It's so much easier to decorate. You can just put it on a table. don't have to go through that other stuff. But I do it because of the kids and the wife. But, uh, but so he had this sad Christmas tree, and he's being made fun of it. And he comes to this point, and he's just like, will somebody tell me what Christmas is all about? And guess who stands up? Linus. All right? And so Linus stands up. He puts his blanket down. He's the guy who had the blanket, right? Uh, he puts it down. And he steps up and he quotes some scripture. And I'm going to read it to you. It's from Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, he says this, In the same region there were some shepherds standing out, staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And then what does Linus do? He says this, Charlie Brown, that's what Christmas is all about. And so what I want to do with us this morning is I want to go back to this passage that we have heard hundreds and hundreds of times, I'm sure. But I want us to look at it with fresh set of eyes. We have embarked on a, just a short series called Do You See What I See? And the point of this series is to really look and see in these different glimpses that we have in Christ to see the heart of God in the coming of Christ is what we want to do. 
And so as we look in this passage this morning, verses 1 through 20, I want you to look with fresh eyes and say, all right, what, what does this tell me about the heart of God for me? What does this tell me that Christmas is all about? And, and maybe how should I respond to Christmas this year? What should be my response about who Christmas is all about? So let's look into Luke chapter 2. And starting here in verse 1, let me read it to you. Linus didn't cover this part. He said, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed to her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Now, when I first kind of start pondering on this and thinking about this, and as a preacher, my, my thought first goes, that's it? That's, that's all you're going to tell me here in these first verses, seven verses, about the narrative of Christ's birth? I mean, I want some detail. I mean, questions come to mind. Questions like, all right, what happened along the road as they went from Nazareth on the way down to Judea? It actually went up to Judea because the elevation, it, it changes as it goes up to Bethlehem. I mean, I want to know, like, who actually delivered the baby? Who was it? I mean, did Joseph have to step in and do it on his own? Or did they find a midwife or, or what? But, but Luke doesn't give us those details. But he gives us some important details. Because what Luke does is he, he shows us in these first seven verses, he, he puts the birth of Christ into historical context, and that's important. Because Jesus Christ is a historical figure. Jesus Christ is not, and regardless to what the skeptics say, he is not a myth or he's not a legend. He's not something that was just made up by a bunch of men. But he was a historical figure who lived along the historical context of our world. And so Luke starts here, and he starts with this man, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is, usually, is just actually just two titles for a man named Gaius Octavian, who was the Roman Empire, or the, the empire, Emperor of the Rome. And, and Gaius was a unique figure because he was the first emperor to actually be the sole emperor over the Roman Empire. He is actually known for bringing an end to a hundred years of, of civil war. He is known for setting in place the, the Pax Romana or the, the Roman peace, a peace that was really held together, kind of a dark peace held together by force. And as he does this, he, he just happens to have this census that goes out, a census to, uh, to obviously gain money, but for the Jews in particular, what it was about, or not for the Jews, but it was also for military and taxes, and that's what it was primarily for the Jews. And, and at first glance, these things might be, seem to be just accidental events. But the reality of, of this is that Luke actually places Caesar, Augustus, the august one, the, the revered one, as actually just a pawn in the hand of a sovereign, providential God. 
See, there's historical events, but there's a sovereign God who is working and orchestrating to use a census to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. God is sovereign in that he is Lord over all nations, all kings, all emperors, and all kingdoms. It's in his providence in that God can orchestrate the events or work through the events of of society and carry out his will and his plan for the good of his people. No doubt Caesar was after money and soldiers, but God wanted his scripture fulfilled. God wanted to carry out his plan of redemption. God wanted to fulfill prophecy. In fact, it just so happens that 700 years before this event of Christ being born, there was a prophecy given by Micah. Micah 5.2 says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the, the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. God fulfilled that in his sovereignty and his providence. You need to see that when you look into the Christmas narrative. You need to see that we have a God who is in control of the circumstances and history that we live in. We need to see that we have a God who will carry out by his providence, his will, his plans, his word, his promises. That's what we need to see in this Christmas narrative, that we have a God who is is active. We have a God who is acting according to his perfect wisdom. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder, God, why, why didn't, why'd you wait so long to bring a Savior? Why'd you wait so long? I mean, if it was me, if I would want to do it, why, why didn't you just have, all right, we have creation, we have the fall, and then, bam, you bring the Savior. But he doesn't. In reality, is he set it up perfectly. Can you imagine just the creation, the fall, then just God just shows up, and I'm God, and Reality, what he did is he, he prepared the people for salvation. He showed them through the need for sacrifices of how sacrifice needed to be made for his sins. But he also showed them through prophecy that when Christ did show up, when he did come into this world, not only could he claim to be God, but he could point and say, you know those prophecies? Those prophecies you've been looking for for hundreds and hundreds of years? I fulfill them. And about credibility, even further credibility to who Christ is. And what we ought to see, too, is that it brings further credibility to the faith that we have in Jesus Christ when the skeptics come. Because what we can do is we point. Yes, we have faith, but we have, a, we have faith in something that is not just a blind faith, but has substance and weight to it. We have a faith that sits amongst history. We have a faith in, in, in a God or a Savior who fulfilled prophecies that were made hundreds and hundreds of years, not just veiled promise prophecies, but detailed prophecies, and he fulfilled every one of those. And he will fulfill more. That's what we ought to see in this coming of Christ. That's what we ought to see in this Christmas narrative, and it ought to bring comfort to us. Not only did he fulfill prophecy, but notice too, he, he humbled himself to do so. Something we ought to see. That here is the one who would fulfill prophecy. Here is God himself. But what we find him is we find him, first of all, being wrapped in clothing. What they often did in uh, ancient times there is that in order to keep the child stable and to keep the limbs stiff, uh, they would wrap them in pieces of clothing. And they would wrap up the whole body. It would be like what Elizabeth and I used to call Samuel. He was like a little burrito baby. 
He'd be all folded up there, nice and secure, nice and snug and, and safe. That's God being wrapped that way. Next week, we find him being found in a, a feed trough of some sort. I mean, can you imagine today if one of us put our child in a feed trough, what kind of trouble we would have? Family services would be showing up and stuff. And not only that, he's, he's born, we don't know exactly where. We don't know if it was a cave, a shepherd's cave, or if it was a, some kind of animal shelter. It seems to be very public. But here is the Savior, who is God, humbling himself and being born in this way. I had some time to, to ponder this a little bit more. Uh, last Sunday, I went, my family went with, uh, to the EMAC. We went to the Stell Maxi and the projects down there. We took all the clothes. And thank you so much for all of you that donated winter items. It was it was fun to watch these kids put that on. They were excited about the hats, and some of them weren't so excited, and they tried to swap them back in for something else. But it was fun, all right? They're kids, all right? They're going to do that. But one of the things that, one of the, the events that I had there was, uh, there was, m- one of my daughters was actually holding one of the children and kind of swinging around, and he got a little wooly and wild and slipped out, and boom, he fell and he hit his head. And so I ran over to comfort him because I was concerned about him, and I was also concerned about a lawsuit. And so I went, and... I picked the child up, and he tried to run out, and I went, and I got the child, and uh, his name was Olus. And I, I held Olus in my arms, and before long, here's Olus. He began snuggling his head right in between my, my neck and my shoulder. It was so cute. He had these cute little chubby cheeks, a little four-year-old. He's heavy, though. Um, <laughs> and he had bad breath. I'm not lying, either. I, I pulled out, I, fortunately, I had a mint in my pocket. I said, hey, you want a mint? He's like, yeah. And he hung on to it for like a few seconds and he's like, ugh, I don't like this. And so I had to spit it out, unfortunately. But, but as I thought about that, as I thought what I was trying to endure with bad breath, which was nothing, I thought about my Lord, who, who endured so much more indignity and things than bad breath. But because he loves us, he came down, he's willing to be born in the environment he was born in. He's, he's willing to be wrapped, not just in clothes, but in our flesh. He, he was willing to, to hunger as we can hunger. He was willing to hurt like we hurt. He's willing to face temptations like we face, though without sin. And he did that because he loves you and me. If I was God, that would not be my plan. But that was his. And we need to see that when we look into the Christmas story. How God took on flesh for you and I. See, God is not some distant, disinterested God, as the deists say. God is transcendent. He's beyond what we can ever think or can imagine, but God is personal. And he's so personal, he would do what he did. Don't forget that as you reflect on the Christmas story. Now, what did Linus see in what he quoted? Well, look with me at verse 8 as we look at the angelic announcement. It says there in verse 8, 
In the, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. Now, I want you to notice something here. It's not dignitaries, all right? It's shepherds. It's not princes. It's not priests or Pharisees or any other religious people. It's shepherds. Why shepherds? I mean, if there were any normal Joe in the society, the shepherds were. They're as... as, as uh, Jeb had referenced in his prayer, they were kind of on the outside of society. I mean, these guys may have been even the guys who provided sheep for the sacrifices that happened in Jerusalem, but the religious figures didn't really want to do anything with them because, other than that, because they were ceremonially unclean. These were kind of the, the lowly and the humble representatives of society. But I think God came to them, or the angels came to them, because that's just the kind of people you need to be to receive the message of God that he's going to bring. To, to receive the good news, which you'll talk about here in a moment, you've got to be a person who is willing to humble themselves to receive it. Now, look what it says here. Here they are. They're, they're out in the fields. They're, they're, they're no doubt that maybe they're huddled around a fire as they're washing these sheep to protect them from prey and to protect them from thieves. Perhaps they're warming up their bodies, and then all of a sudden, bam. Then suddenly, the angel of the Lord stood before them. And get this, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened. That is, they, they feared a great fear. A great fear. Here it is, this, this, the glory of the Lord. When we hear the glory of the Lord, what we can think of is we can think of the Shekinah light that you saw in the Old Testament that represented the presence of God. In essence, when this angel of the Lord comes, the presence of the Lord also comes and surrounds them. And no doubt, they're overwhelmed with the light of God's presence. I don't know about you, but my wife has done this a few times. I don't know about some of you guys. My wife's done this. You're asleep, dead dark, and your wife comes in and flips on the light. That's shocking to me, all right? That put a great fear in me, all right? But nothing like this fear here. The light of the presence of the glory of God. Nothing like that. But look what he says here. He says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, for behold, us." he's like, listen up. Behold, listen to this. This is an imperative command that he's making. I bring you good news. This is where we get the gospel from. This is our word gospel. comes from good news of great joy, which will be for all people. It's great joy. That is, he's telling them, you don't have to be afraid because, see, as believers in Christ, we should fear God. We should have a reverential respect. We should take God serious. And so there is a fear of God. But we don't have to fear a terrible fear of God. Because why God is all that we can think or imagine. His holiness overwhelms us. It's his grace that allows us to be drawn near to him. And that's what the angels are saying. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. He's talking about grace here. You don't have to be afraid because the glory of the Lord is coming. I'm coming to speak of good news. I'm coming to speak of great joy. It's megas joy. This stresses the measure and the quantity and degree of this joy. This is joy like any other. Like any other. Unlike any other. I've heard it said that this time of the season of the year, the Christmas season, is often a time where there are more suicides more nervous breakdowns, more emotional disorders and depression than any other time during the year. Why is it? Well, certainly there are 
disorders and things that people need help with and medical attention, I think oftentimes is because a large portion have put or centered their joy in the wrong thing or the wrong person. Joy is not to be found in certain possessions or things. But look what the, the angels said here, here. They said, good news of great joy. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, joy is not centered in possessions or things you earn, but joy is centered in a person. It's centered in this baby who was given to us by God, the person of Jesus Christ, who can bring a great joy, a settled joy, not based on circumstances, but based on who you are in Christ. That kind of joy. He is a child like no other. Look what, look what the angels say. Look at the, the, the titles that they give to this child. He, first of all, he says he is the Christ. Christ is literally, it's the, it's the Greek translation of the word Mashiach or Messiah. It's the anointed one. It's the one who was set apart. It's to be chosen, set apart. In the Old Testament, priests and prophets and kings would be anointed by oil to set them apart to a certain calling. But there was one who all out throughout the Old Testament, there was one particular who was the Christ, the Messiah, the one that all Israel waited for. And the angel is saying, that's who this is. It's the Christ. But second, look what he also says in here. He says he's Christ the Lord. That is, he is Lord. That is, he is fully God. He is deity. Matter of fact, the context tells us this for sure because this term can certainly mean a, a term of respect. It can refer to someone who is a master. But the idea here is if you look at the context, verse 9, verse 22, and verse 23, all use the same word for Lord to refer to God. He's talking of deity here. Now, what I'm about to share with you, you need to write these down because we live in a society and live in a world today where the deity of Christ is attacked. Right, there are some who pray, proclaim the name of Christ, who proclaim to be Christians, but aren't even really aware of the fact that he is truly God. I had one of those conversations one time. I sat down with a, a young man. We, we were eating lunch, and I was trying, he had proclaimed to be a Christian, and I was just trying to get a, kind of see where he's really at. And I said, well, well, tell me about Jesus Christ. Who is he? Who is he to you, and what, what is he like? And he said, well, he's... he's He's a man. Well, I said, is he just any man? Oh, hey, he's, he's just a man. So I pressed him a little bit further. I said, well, did he sin? He said, yeah, he, he, I'm sure he, he sinned like everyone else. And I had some correction to do. Because he wasn't just a man like anyone else. He wasn't. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a mere prophet. He is God. God came. Now, there are going to be people that come to your door sometimes and they're going to knock and they're going to have a buddy with them. And they're going to press you on this point. So I want you to write down these scriptures I'm about to share with you. First of all, this term Lord, in many ways, uh, why it's kuros, it, it covers all this, the same kind of aspects. It's referring to, to, to God, who is Yahweh. It's referring to that one who, who Moses was told by God himself, that I am who I am in, in Exodus chapter 3. 
Matter of fact, in, in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. Here's what he says to them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. In essence, he was referring to that reference in Exodus. And if you don't believe me, and this is where the, the, our buddies, the Jehovah's Witnesses, don't believe us, just go to verse 59. They say, therefore, we, they picked up, as religious leaders picked up the stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. That is, they knew what Jesus was claiming. They knew he was claiming to be Yahweh as he used the term I am. Remember, in John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus said earlier, he said, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, and actually in the Greek that he is not present, he's saying, I am. Unless you believe that I am, he goes on, you will die in your sins. This issue of Jesus' deity is essential to your salvation. It's important to grasp and not to accept Jesus just as a mere man. John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, our buddies will they retranslate that, but that's what Scripture says. He was God. Titus 2 verse 13 says this, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior who? What does it say? Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter uh, 2, verse 9 says this, For in him, and he's talking about Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. See, what happened on that Christmas, what happened in that time when the Holy Spirit placed the seed of Christ in the womb of Mary, is that Christ took on human flesh. God took on human flesh. And was without sin. Folks, Jesus is God, and this is essential. And yes, He is, he is man as well. He is fully man. Matter of fact, when you look in that, that was a child that was wrapped in those clothing. That was someone who was flesh and blood, who was fed and who ate and grew in knowledge and understanding. That was a man. He was fully God and he was fully man. Now, I'm going a little seminary on you, but you need to get this. This is essential. Jesus Christ is fully God, and he is fully man. He is two natures in one person. That's who this child is. That's when you look into this Christmas story, when you look into the manger, what you see in that child is you see God incarnated in human flesh. That's what scriptures teach. And you say, Matt, why are you driving this home so importantly? Because without it, there is no salvation. See, this is good news that Jesus Christ is the God-man. He had to be man to bear the sins of humans. But he also had to be God because no one but an infinite God could bear the full weight of punishment due our sins. No one else could have done it. No one else could have bore the price that we deserve to bear for all eternity. Only an infant God could pay an infinite price. Therefore, he had to be God, fully God and fully man. And furthermore, without God being the one who paid the price for our, our sins, it would have robbed God of the glory. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. God did it solely of himself. That's the God-man. That's what we ought to see when we look in. And that's the good news. 
that only Jesus, our unique Savior, could bring. Now, sometimes we don't get the good news unless we also hear the bad news. As a matter of fact, several years ago, um, Andy Rooney, you remember who used to be on uh, 60 Minutes, he was getting complaints about how all you newscasters, all you ever do is you, you talk about bad news all the time. So he decided in his little broadcast that he was going to get a different spin, and so this is what he gave. He imagined a newscast which was, it was reported that planes took off and landed safely. Imagine a newscast where in Florida the orange crop was hit by another night of average weather. The oranges just hung there and, and grew. Imagine in Detroit General Motors announced that 174,000 Chevrolets would not be recalled because they were all perfect. His point was this. We don't really see the good news until we understand the bad news. And here's the bad news for you to help you understand the good news of Jesus Christ. The bad news is this, that you and I all fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. Our works are as filthy rags. We have nothing we can bring to the table to measure to the perfect standard of righteousness that God himself possesses can't meet that standard we fall short and we deserve the wrath of god it says for the wages of sin is death each one of us deserve a payment to be made because of our sin it's the bad news for the wages of sin is death but here's the good news again but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord that's the good news See, it's even better when you understand who we are and you understand who he is and why he came to save us from who we are to life with him. Isn't that good news? That should get an amen. He's a savior. Joseph would say in Matthew 1, 21, 21, Jesus would save his people from their sins. The reality is we need this good news because our sin and our distance from God causes conflict between us. We lack peace between God and ourselves. In fact, I was asking mom about some stories. My mom's here visiting with us, and from time to time I asked her, hey, you got any good stories I can use because I need sermon illustrations? So she was sharing with me one, and she shared this story with me that as a, a young child, um, whenever they would take me to see Santa Claus, I would just start crying. I mean, I hated Santa Claus. I just, for some reason, I, it was just always caused great distraught for me, all right? Remember, there, there's this picture I vividly remember. It's me by a church bus and a Santa Claus standing to me, and I'm like this, just, just crying, but she was telling me, though, that we had this tradition where we would go out and see lights, and we would go to this place called the Crohn's Conservatory. And at the Crohn's Conservatory, they had all these flowers, but at the Crohn's Conservatory, there was a manger scene there. And I would be crying with, with Santa and all that, but when they took me to there, to the manger scene, my dad would be holding me, and I would be calm. Crying with Santa, calm with the scene of Christ. Remember, they said, you would put me down. I used to always love to wander off to just watch the sheep, and that's where they would find me. 
And as I thought about that, it really sets up the picture for what the angels are about to say here. Because really, without Christ, you're without peace in your life. I mean, you may strive towards peace, you may work towards peace, but you don't have the peace that the angels are about to talk about here. You don't have the most important peace, and that is the peace between you and God. So the angels come, and they say, and suddenly they appeared uh, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest that is in heaven, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased, that is, with, on whom he has his favor, that is, on whom he has chosen, those whom he's poured out his grace upon. And we receive that grace by what? Through faith and faith alone. That is, the peace I believe he's speaking of here is the peace that we can have through this one, this good news, Jesus Christ. And yes, God will bring peace someday on earth and all those things, but it starts with knowing the person of Christ, our Savior, who is Lord. It's through faith in Him and Him alone. That's the good news of Christmas, Charlie Brown. And then we'll look at the, the, the angels say here. Look at verse 15. So my question to you is, what do we do with all this? What do we do with the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man? What do we do with the fact that he came and that he would be our Savior and that he would uh, bring peace to us? How do we respond to that? Well, let's look at the text here. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as been told them. I see four responses in here to the Christmas narrative, to the person of Christ. The first is this, what I see in the shepherds, is I see that they went and they investigated the good news of Christ. They heard this message, and then they responded by going and checking it out. And my exhortation is you today is there might be some skeptics here today. There might be some that are here to say, you know, I don't really believe this stuff about the Christmas story. I don't believe this stuff about who Christ is. I mean, isn't this just stuff that Men in a church made up? That's okay if that's where you're at. If that's where you are, that's fine. But my exhortation is, is just take, take an example and follow what the shepherds did and, and investigate what you're hearing today. Because what I am giving you, I believe, is the Word of God. And my exhortation to you is don't just stand in your skepticism without investigating the claims that are being made because these are mighty, powerful claims that have powerful implications. Matter of fact, I would encourage you that if you have questions about this, I have a book called More Than a Carpenter, and I have a copy for you out there in the foyer. This was written by a man, Josh McDowell, who was once a skeptic. And in the face and the claims of Christ, he said, I'm going to go and prove this stuff wrong. And so he investigated the truth, and God worked in him. And he came to write this book and put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I exhort you that if you're a skeptic today, take the time to investigate the claims that are being made 
Second, though, look what Mary, how she responded. There was wonderment on all who were there. They all kind of wondered and thought about it and were kind of amazed at what was going on. But look what Mary does. She says, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in their hearts. I mean, Mary went beyond wonderment. She went to treasurement. She, this word treasure is the idea to keep, to guard, to keep safe. It means to preserve. It's to hold up and treasure in one's mind or memory because it is of such value and worth. And, and the message of Christ is of immense value. It has eternal impact. And my exhortation to you is those of us particularly who know Christ as our Savior, we ought to treasure these things. We ought to ponder these things. What Mary was doing, she's pondering these things. She's putting together the, 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 uh, the, the angel's presence in her life and in Joseph's life and certainly here with the shepherds tell her. And she's putting this all together. And she's in amazement and treasuring and is thinking, man, this, this, is, this really is the Messiah, my Savior. And my question to you is, at Christmas, do you slow down enough to take the time to really treasure and ponder the claims of Christ and the impact that should have makes, that should make in our lives? Take that time. Treasure Christ this season. And matter of fact, treasure him throughout all the seasons. Folks, he is Lord. I mean, if you really believe he is Lord, that he is God and as your Savior, it ought to do something to your life. I think that's the outcome of what the shepherds, I think the shepherds are responding in faith because I think when one treasures what, what one or whom one treasures in their heart actually overflows and comes out is worship. And that's what the shepherds do here. They worship God in response to the good news. They go off glorifying and praising God. And the reality is we ought to, out of the hearts that are treasuring Christ, we ought to worship him. And not just with the songs that we sing. Yes, we should do that. But in, the, in our talk that we have, we should be glorifying and praising God. It should show up, not only in what we say, but also in how we live. Romans chapter 12 tells us that in the view of God's mercies, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That is, if Christ is who He is and says, and He is your Savior, He is your Lord, a life of worship ought to overflow out of us. We ought to worship Him as a way of life. And then last, the angels brought a message of good news. The shepherds came and they brought all that they had heard and they shared it with Mary and and the others who were present there. And the reality is this, you and I are to be messengers. We are to be witnesses to the good news of great joy that a Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord, has come to save us from sins and he will come back again someday. That is our message to share as well. Matter of fact, my challenge to you today is that you too who are believers, that you might take one of these. And there's also a gospel track that you can have out there. That you might read this book to, uh, just to build you up in your faith. But that you might pray for someone that you can go and you can say, Hey, I want to tell you about my Savior, Christ the Lord. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to read this book and I would love to talk with you about it. I exhort you to do that and to take one of these copies for you. During the making of a Charlie Brown Christmas, Peanuts creator Charles Schultz had a meeting with Lee Mendelson, who was the show's producer, and Bill Melendez, who is lead animator. 
The discussion concerns Schultz's insistence that within this cartoon that there be a, a the New Testament reading of the birth of Christ. He insisted on it. And so they were kind of squabbling and discussing it. And one of the guys, uh, Melendez, during this conversation, he's, he's told Schultz, he said, Schultz, it is very dangerous for us to start talking about religion now. And Schultz's answer was, was powerful. Schultz answered him by saying, he said, Bill, if we don't, who will? Here's my exhortation to you. If we don't, who will talk about the relationship with Jesus Christ? If we don't tell about the Savior, Christ, the Lord, who will? As you go out in this Christmas season this year, may you respond to the message of Christmas by having lives that treasure Christ, that worship Him, and that share Him with a lost and dying world without peace and joy. Dear God, we come and we thank You. We praise You for Your Word. We thank You that You humbled Yourself, that You took on human flesh. You are our perfect Savior. You have risen again. And You are coming back. And, oh Lord, as we wait... I pray those, Lord, who are skeptics, that they might turn in faith today. That may they may first take a first step of investigating your truths and your claims. And they may find them true through the work of your Holy Spirit in their life. And Lord, I pray for us who are believers, that you will work in us in such a way that we will not just look at the Christmas story as, uh, oh, I heard that, heard that before. But Lord, we will respond to it. We respond with hearts that treasure you, that worship you, and share you with others. That you may have glory, O God. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. And all God's people said...